Hey everyone, it's Lucas and Anita. Welcome to Chain Reaction, where we unpack and explain the latest in crypto news, drama, and trends, breaking things down block by block for the crypto curious. Hey James, it's great to chat with you again. How's everything going? Hi Anita, it's going well. Thank you. Glad to be here. Awesome. Yeah. So let's get right into it. I think we've spoken before, but for the audience and for everyone else who's listening, I know that you're an artist by training and you kind of got your start making art for Star Wars video games. Yes, so I did. So can you just share a little bit about how you got into NFTs and Web3? Oh my gosh. Well, um, <laughs> I've been drawing my whole life. I started working at LucasArts in the late 90s. So I've been in the video game industry for 24 years. I've been in crypto for about five years as an investor. and a Which felt longer. <laughs> oh my gosh, gaming for sure. It's tough, you guys. Yeah, I started, I started my company, Concept Art House. Is it 14 years ago now? Gosh. And then in NFT, really since the beginning of 2021, end of 2020. So that's a little bit of timelines for you guys. Yeah. And so Concept Art House, uh, can you share a little bit more about what you do through that? I know you work with a bunch of different video game providers. So yeah, what kind of services do you provide? Absolutely. Well, we've been around for 14 years and we've helped ship over a thousand games. So I have a great team. We, we started off working with things for Blizzard, Hearthstone. We did early concept art for Fortnite. We do really high-end graphics, concept art, 3D modeling for 12 out of our 14-year history. Now, the last two years, we would a total pivot into Web3. And there's kind of no looking back. So in the Web3 space, we've helped ship over 20 different Web3 projects, NFT projects, including the famous artist Frank Miller on his Sin City drop. We do NFT work with Dapper Labs on NFL on an upcoming UFC game and a bunch of other GameFi projects. Yeah. Well, I'm very curious about that. So, you know, you're a veteran of the games industry, it sounds like. But I guess, like, when you make a Web3 pivot, is it basically customers coming to you with the idea, like, we know we have this community, we have this vision to make money, but, like, yes, we don't have a game, actually. Like, are you coming up with the gameplay and the graphics and, like, everything? Or, like, what does that look like? Great question. So different people coming into Web3 come in with different reasons. Our sweet spot has been creative companies or brands that want to get into Web3 because it's so exciting and we help them do that. Or crypto natives who lack gaming experience or let's say digital art pipelines. So you're like three crypto natives, you just raised $5 million, but now you've promised a game. Well, how do you make a game? How do you make a drop? So we help two different ways. Crypto natives build real products or real products and helping them pivot more into Web3 world. Gotcha. And I mean, I guess like broadly, when you're looking at what the crypto market looks like today, how has your customer base kind of changed? Because I'm imagining that it's a lot more crypto clients, maybe specifically, or people that kind of already made that big jump. Yeah, guys, the winter is rough. It's, it's real. <laughs> well, it's yeah, real. That's, it. that's what I'm wondering. Right. Yeah. So I want to start by saying that for me personally, having been in the digital art space, I'm extremely long term bullish on it because I really believe in the concept of digital ownership. As a digital artist myself, you just, as a physical artist, like I'm old enough that I did work like painting, pencils, et cetera. You could sell that art after you actually did the concept. There's no way of doing that in digital art until blockchain came around. So I really long-term believe in digital property and digital rights ownership. However, in the interim, the winter has pinched people in three different ways. One, NFT prices have dropped. People are being really careful about what NFTs they buy. Second, the VCs, right? If you had a $500 million fund, 
in a good times, you're getting that replenished every year. Now you got to mm-hmm. make that last three years. So investments, is, it's pretty hard. And three is token launches. That was such a powerful vehicle over the past three or four years for the right projects. That has come to a dramatic slowing down in this environment. So between lack of token launch projects, dropping NFT prices, and harder to get investment dollars, people are really careful in this space, and it's understandable. So you mentioned the uh, the Sin City drop that you worked on with the comics by Frank Miller, and yeah. I was reading about this, and I saw that a physical piece from the collection was sold for like 800k. I guess I'm curious how this all came together. Like, what components of the art did Concept Art House actually provide? Oh yeah. And how did you sort of handle questions around like IP when it came to the original comics versus what you were working on? Got it. So. So I have 160 people at Concept Art House. Many of us are fans of comic books, myself included. Frank Miller's a legend in the space. We met Frank in early 2021. And we're like, Frank, what do you want to do? I mean, you're already rich, you're already famous, you already have these great IPs. And he wanted a chance to connect more with new collectors, new audiences. And the NFT blockchain space gave him a chance to do that. So we paired Frank up with our partners at Gala Games. They're the protocol Frank is the IP, and we're the ones that helped figure out what that drop should be. How do we honor Frank's legacy? That piece that sold for 840K, that was a seminal moment. I don't want to give it away, but there's a little story moment that's really climactic in both the movies and the comics. And that's a special moment owned by one person. So we thought it was a very historical piece. There were a total of 10 pieces. And the physical art, we also had a, we were the crystal. That was created by Jason Brinks over at Gala Games. So it was a really collective teamwork around the drop. The drop sold out, did about maybe $4 million or so. But Frank, I would like to think we accomplished that. We introduced him into this great new wave of digital art collectors that were also fans of his work. It's very interesting, like IP in NFTs right now. I mean, you're obviously like, you don't have the same freedoms when you're working with existing IP. But as we look at like the Yugas of the world and stuff like that, like people are doing CCO and like there are all these things about copyright that are really interesting. I guess you guys are mostly working with existing IP holders at the moment, it sounds like. But I guess like as you kind of look towards different things, like what unique opportunities do open copyrights for NFTs kind of present? Yeah. <laughs> it's a broad question. I know. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, the, some of the biggest brands we work on, absolutely. I mean, you, you, I mean you're, you're tech front, you see everything. I mean, the biggest brands, of course, are excited about the NFT space, but it also does create the opportunity for a lot of new creators and new IP. For example, we're working with uh, great developers called Fashion League to try to bring a whole digital tint of fashion into the metaverse. We work with the Auto Chess uh, Planet Mojo. It's a really cool auto chess game. These are new original IPs. And the whole thesis gets to change because if you're building from the foundation, it aligns the players with the developers. So we get a chance to work on those new original IPs. And, you know, Skatex is one of those. Genopets is a great project. It's kind of like Pokemon mm-hmm. Go for Web3. But unlike Pokemon Go, you actually get to own, truly own these digital assets. Yeah, I'm curious about like your history at Concept Art House as it relates to IP too. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I do remember reading that your original thought was to have Concept Art House create your own IP like in-house, but that you ended up going in a different direction. And I'm just curious why you thought to make that pivot. We are still interested in our own original IPs. Cool. There's just, yeah, yeah, very much so. The next big move we want to do, we're kind of already in the nexus between brands large and small that want to get into Web3, and then artists who want to come into the space. There are still, even though it's winter, there's more people coming into the space than leaving. So we want to create a really powerful artist network that can credential and identify who an artist is, what they've worked on, 
in Web 2 and in Web 3. So instead of creating one IP, we want to create a platform that's really friendly for artists in Web 3. I'm happy to talk more about that maybe later on. <laughs> I'm curious, this is kind of like, this is a broader question, but I'm like noticing right now, especially as the bear market kind of deepens and like volume shrink a bit, there are all these like awesome technologists and creatives who are in the Web3 space who are like still super excited about it, but a yeah. lot of the consumer interest has kind of like been sucked yeah. out of the space in some capacity. So I guess like, how do you as a creator like build stuff for the big audience in Web3, which might be insiders at the moment, but also kind of try to like push on the walls and expand the total addressable audience at the same time? Like, that's a question that I've kind of like struggled with myself in some ways. Lucas, this is a big question. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to answer that in two parts. One is with the artist motivation in mind and one's with brands in mind. I think with brands, you know, I'm an NFL fan and we do work on the NFL NFTs with Dapper. If you watch this season, you're going to see like commercials for NFL all day. They're not talking about NFTs, but they're talking about digital ownership. That's really exciting. If you, like me, believe that humans, as society, we are becoming more digital, whether you like it or not, then we should be able to own things in this digital world. And a lot of people are using the buzzword metaverse. If you believe in that core concept, that's why the brands are in there. So it's almost like whether you make money today or not, if you have a long view that eventually people are going to own more digital assets, that's where the money is going to the space. And if you listen to Mark Andreessen and Andreessen Horowitz, they talk about that, that the smartest builders are going into the space. That's the bullish part. Now, for an artist, what you're talking about, I have a question for a friend of mine who is a very talented storyboard artist just last night. And I said, do you think professional artists today are underpaid, overpaid, or paid about right? And he said, I think they're underpaid. And I said, why? And he specifically cited to certain decisions, like, for example, Pixar made that made it a lot agreement with other companies that to keep certain salaries of professional artists low. That's a heavy statement. When I look at the statement, I think they're both underpaid and they're paid what they're currently worth. That's a really tough statement. I think if you put 10,000 hours into engineering and 10,000 hours into art right now, as an engineer, you make more money. Right. It's market value or whatever. Yeah, exactly. You as an artist, should you be able to make more money? Now, two artists, equal amount of time put into art. One is more financially savvy, builds up a community, has a way to exercise a community, but just the same skill set as another artist, should those two artists make the same amount of money? So my thesis is in the future, the artists who are more financially savvy, who understand community, have more power. They need less agents, less middlemen. That's kind of the promise of blockchain. So I think in the future, you'll see this fork for most professional artists. Do you want to try to understand finances more, your role in it, your role in the community, your role in technology, and contribute as a highly skilled artist? Or do you want to just paint and draw really well? You're going to see a different power dichotomy between those two types of artists, even if the skill sets are the same. I guess in talking about approaching the broader audience, are you saying that that fork will come down the road, but for now, people are going to more focus on kind of crypto insider, you know, you have to kind of pick the financial route in order to tap some of those profits. Correct. I think that okay. fork has already started happening, but it's okay. not mass market yet. Most of your artists and art station DVR, they're conflicted. NFTs might burn the earth. I hate NFTs. It's all a scam versus, hey, this is a new way to look at digital assets. There's a small group that have embraced the new digital assets. You see them in the alpha channels, act on Twitter. Those are the ones that really changed the dynamic for themselves. Many of us were, myself included, like starving artists for 10 years. We took advantage of the technology because it's a different way of thinking about digital ownership. 
Yeah, I guess it's clear that there's a lot of artists who have benefited from some opportunities in this space. But when it comes to compensation, I know there's also been a lot of controversy, right, with some of the higher profile projects. I remember mm-hmm. reading about with the board Ape Yacht Club and um, the artist behind that making a comment about how she wasn't fairly compensated or felt that she wasn't paid a lot of money. I don't think she gave a lot of color on that statement, but I'm just curious about like, what role do you think the companies and the, the actual creators behind these projects have in terms of paying the artist fairly? Like, I guess just because you get into the space and just because you're knowledgeable and aware doesn't necessarily yeah. mean you have agency, right? To actually get compensated fairly. <laughs> I see. Yeah, that's <laughs> also super hard. So there's different ways of lens. So I came from, for 12 of those 14 years concert art house, we really tried to preserve our rates. And we were always stuck in the middle between AAA rates. If you went to Hollywood, you know, artists were making 100, 200 bucks an hour. But you can always go to India or China for like 15, $20 an hour. So the, the mm-hmm. way that art services overall settled into a certain groove, and it's not exciting, guys. It's a race to the bottom. There's always somebody new trying to undercut. And that's part of the market by design. Right. That's a tough way to get into it. And then for you to be a really talented artist, it's only half the battle. Can you really develop the right IP and protect IP in appropriate ways? The artists like Frank Miller that did that, I mean, they're the ones that really kind of like won this race of, of discovery. But even so, it's the brands that benefited from that. I, I don't know. There's something fundamentally funny about the fact that like the wide proliferation of, you know, this was more like around like 10K PFPs. But so mm. many of these artists that were building these were being found on Fiverr. And like that's as Web 2 as it gets in terms of compensation models. Like that's like there's no they're not being tied to the success of the project whatsoever. So I just I guess there's just like some like underlying irony in that where it's like, yeah, right. Like, you know, all these startups are promising to change how creators, quote unquote, across the board, more like casual creators are paid. But fundamentally, artists who are kind of being like sucked into some of these machines still have to kind of deal with the same contracts, the same kind of structure. They're not being paid necessarily. Some might be they're not being paid in NFTs. I'm so glad you said that. Exactly. What if there is a better fiber, there's a better way to work in the future? What if artists knew they could get royalties behind the projects they worked on? Guys, this wasn't possible in the Web2 space. So to your earlier point, Anita and Lucas, about new IPs, what if IPs are created with fan participation, community engagement involved? That if you bought a piece of art in my game, you participate in the upsides. That's how it should be. That's right. why the space is so exciting. So Constant Broadhouse for 12 years, we almost got no royalties, no revenue share. It was just art for cash. And that model is probably always going to be around. But we we took a chance at the future of different types of different deal terms and ownership. So I want to pass that knowledge and that transition to other artists, that artists that participate through our platform hopefully can participate in, in, in upsides. When you're talking with artists, how do you advise them on, you know, just thinking through whether a project is actually going to take off? Because I guess there's two separate parties here, right? Like there's sort of the group that actually does the drawings, like artists in the most literal sense. And then sometimes that they'll also be the ones coming up with the whole like storyline behind it and the business pitch and the marketing, but sometimes they're also not. So I guess when you're kind of encouraging artists to take it to that level and come up with a holistic story and launch a new NFT project. Like how do they even go about thinking through, like, is this going to be popular? Are enough people going to buy it? Is this going to be sustainable for me? Yeah. Another really great question for concept art house. You can think of our studios business as an agency consultancy model for web three. And we have an art studio of kick-ass artists. By the time, so if you needed a drop design, you might talk to the strategists that know art really well. 
And then by the time the strategy is fleshed out, you need some really cool NFTs that people are going to want to own. And that goes to the artist. So we have that internally at Concept Art House. If you look at Web3 as a whole, you have that in a decentralized way. You have promoters of projects. You have people that strategize projects, crypto natives, design projects, but they often outsource the art just like Borde Yacht Club. Right, yeah. You're going to have those two different groups. Right now, it's... It's a little wild, wild west in that there's not a set formula for this. Like if you're a strategist, but you don't know how to draw very well, where do you go get to get your art? Are you going to ArtStation, DeviantArt, Instagram? It's all over the place. Fiverr, you know, if you're an artist, you have a great idea for an NFT idea. Where do you go to partner with a great NFT strategist? There's not really a set place yet because the space is so early. So like the platform, I'm not trying to show you, but that's, we see the same thing as you guys see. And that's why I'm like, okay, there needs to be some place to go to, to kind of find each other. Right now it's Twitter, but it's unguided. It's everybody's up to their, on their own. Yeah. Being, being someone who's, you know, the success of your business is based around right now, the success of NFTs in gaming in the future, it seems like. But I guess as you look at studios interested in getting into this, there isn't really like a shining star for them at the moment in terms of like, I want my game to be just like this. You can be like, I want my game to be just like Axie Infinity for this <laughs> seven fiscal week period. But there's a lot of success and there's a lot of momentary profitability. But I guess when you're talking about like the whole marks of a top game it's just it's hard to define in crypto right now because the audience is just working at a different scale so i guess like when you're trying to judge a success what does success look like i have to go back to early days of free to play and how many people are against free to play until free to play became a thing well so success today if you look at the patterns of what a16 is invested into and amoco is invested into the teams that are getting the most investment are crypto natives with actual gaming experience. That should give us an indicator into where things are coming. And of course, I'm a big proponent of AAA graphics. Star Atlas has that. Phantom Galaxies has that. But yeah, you're right. There's no glaring great examples. There's a good example of teams that believe they're doing the right things that cut their teeth on Web2 games. So I look at a lot at precedent, a lot of experience of the team. They understand the crypto natives. That's what we have to measure from right now. And there are a few games that are trying to distance themselves and being IMD game. So Rare is a great example of a, I don't know, fantasy sports management type of game that kind of works. Axie worked until they ran into a lot of issues. Hopefully that's something to build on. In terms of AAA graphics, like I said, there's Star Atlas. There's a ton of games that look really good. So I think the next year and a half or so are going to really hopefully distance some winners and some winners in the space. Yeah, I think one of the maybe long lasting, uh, I don't know if anxieties is the right word, but for like NFT game or for gamers in general, yeah. is that just this isn't going to look how the crypto idealists think it will. And that, in fact, it's going to be a lot of proprietary blockchains, a Blizzard blockchain, uh, insert your mega studio. And yeah. these things, there's not going to be any cross utility. It's just going to be market pegged economies built into every game that are siloed. Hey, maybe you can transact off chain, but you're going to have to pay like a different percentage fee to sell something on OpenSea than you would on the publishers. Like that's a doomsday view. But I'm not sure that the major publishers have earned their right to not <laughs> be seen through a doomsday lens. So I guess, like, why should some of the gamers who are on Reddit right now, like, lambasting whenever their favorite game integrates NFTs in a minor way, why should they, like, be a little bit more chill? Do they have anything to fear? <laughs> Another broad question and a hard one, but curious your thoughts. I think what you're alluding to is we're not quite ready for the full Web3 game by experience that may be the success the next 
evolution of the success is more like web 2.5 D. So can we get a really fun game out there where by nature, some assets are scarce and those assets through somewhat design become valuable. And so there is a way there's more like a play and earn or collect earn mechanic rather than purely play to earn. That seems like a sensible pass forward. I think the whole, I don't know if that makes sense. That's what I see. Can we create a fun game that's engaging enough, just like Magic the Gathering didn't design certain cards like the Black Lotus or whatever to be worth a crap ton of money, but there became a secondary economy because the game was fun, because it was collectible, and because certain key assets were really valuable. That seems like a winning formula that we're doubling down on that I see others that I believe in doubling down on. Mm -hmm. I know ideally everyone wants this sort of interoperable gaming universe and and that's yeah. you know the the end goal for a lot of people but in the meantime I guess when you're helping artists create these assets for gaming uses are you thinking about like how are you thinking through which specific blockchains to support like I know there's a lot of sort of talk about like high fees mm. and like expensive transaction costs for gamers so how do you approach that Yeah that's a great question so I look at the origin story of the protocol and what they really want to do. There's several protocols that say the big winning metric they go for is 100 million wallet conversions. Mm -hmm. We're building UFC with Flow because their thesis was move slow, get it right, go for the crypto curious. So if you wanted to go, let's say whale hunting, most of your biggest whales are on Ethereum. Right. So there's a decision there. Do you want to go mass market or do you want to go whale hunting? That question should send you to different protocols. Nier just did a, a kind of a historic deal with Sweatcoin because Sweatcoin is already a proven Web2 product with 70 million users. That's Nier's big play. But you know what's the biggest artist marketplace on Nier versus ETH versus Solana versus Flow? They all do slightly different things. Yeah. So Polygon, right. for example, they have done some really killer deals, really fleshed out a lot of extra tools because they've been around, they raised the right money. Avalanche is super friendly for gaming because there's a subnet network. And then there's a couple new ones. And I don't think the, the days of layer one in gaming is, is over yet. You have some giants that are kind of waiting in the space. You know, it's fascinating because like, I think Flow, there's some controversy involved with Flow is just like mm. blockchain amongst purists. But, you know, personally, like, I think that the idea of obfuscating as much of the kind of like technical lift away from consumers as possible, you know, that's the only way things are going to work in the end. But that's a little bit harder to sell in the depths of a bear market where like the mainstream yeah. audience might not be as easy to come by. So I guess like for you, when it comes to making a bet on blockchains that might be a few years out from kind of realizing their potential versus something like ETH, where you said there are whales aplenty. I guess, does it matter for you? Like, how much does it matter how successful these games are in the long run versus like initially? I, obviously, you want your clients to be successful, yeah. I know. <laughs> but I guess like I'm assuming, are you like getting like paid in tokens or anything for any of these deals? Like yeah, a custom ever? We do. It's best for our studio model that we're platform protocol agnostic. So. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we try to be like Switzerland in that in that case. We do hold tokens in several of our projects. That just shows okay. alignment. It's a whole different way of commercially engaged with our clients. So we have projects on Gala, on Flow, on Solana, on several ETH and ETH Layer 2s. And they do slightly different things. I'm also like a game advisor in Nier. They all do slightly different things. I know I'm kind of punting the question a little bit, but without naming specific names, sure. some are a little bit more stable, some are a little faster, right? Some are willing to pay for your attention. 
the yeah. new chains have raised a ton of money, they'll pay for you to be on the network. And that's really valuable in the spare market. You know, yeah. so I think it's I think that piece is that push and pull is really important. So if I were to give advice to like new developers, if you're a huge brand, you need to go with a really established protocol. If you're starting off, you need to get really great support financially and resource support because you're out there on your own. Mm-hmm. You know, and the more you identify yourself with one protocol, the harder potentially until we go to a more multi-chain future. Right. Yeah. So, I guess the considerations are different for every every type of project. Yeah. But no, thanks so much, James. This was a really fascinating conversation. And there's definitely a lot to talk about when it comes to art and NFT. So thanks for spending your time with us. Okay. Thank you, Lucas and Nita. Really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thanks, James. Okay. Thanks, guys. We'll be back every week with interviews with the experts in the Web3 space. Catch Anita, Jackie, and myself every Thursday for the latest in crypto news. You can keep up with us on Spotify, Apple Music, or your favorite pod platform. And subscribe to our companion newsletter, also called Chain Reaction. Links to the newsletter and more from our guests can be found in our show notes. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Chain underscore Reaction. Chain Reaction is hosted by myself, Lucas Matney, along with my co-host, Anita Ramswamy. We are produced by Yashad Kulkarni, and our associate producer is Maggie Stamets, with editing by Kel Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator, Alyssa Stringer leads audience development, and Henry Pickovit manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening.